the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Stand by for the Northern Alliance Radio Network. And go launch sequence. Engineering. Go flight. Master control. Go flight. Studio engineer. Go flight. We are go for launch in T-minus three, two, one. We have liftoff. The Northern Alliance Radio Network is on the air. Live and local from the AM1280 The Patriot Studios in Egan, here is The Closer, Brad Carlson. Now that's much more festive, I think. Eschewing our regular I'm open. dreaming of a white Christmas. Hey, welcome back. AM 1280, The Patriot, Northern Alliance Radio Network. Just like the ones I used to know. Boy, is this apropos? We're definitely dreaming of the white Christmas here in Minnesota. It's 40 degrees. It's raining and not a flake of snow. But hey, we hope the holidays are still as festive and merry and bright with your family members as we're enjoying this Christmas holiday. And yes, it is a Christmas Eve edition of the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Again, me, Brad Carlson. Thank you for taking time from your holiday, if indeed you are listening live, to check out the broadcast. Uh, Folks, we want to uh, take a transition this hour. And welcome to the broadcast, Ambassador Francis Rooney. Uh, Mr. Rooney represented Florida's 19th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives from 2017 to 2021. Uh, But from 2005 to 2008, he served as the U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See, appointed by President George W. Bush. Uh, We're having on Ambassador Rooney to uh, talk about, obviously, the uh, war raging on in the Middle East, the Israeli-Hamas conflict, Two and a half months in, kind of get uh, try to get our finger on the pulse of what the, the global implications are and how this uh, conflict is uh, progressing thus far and certainly the impact that it has had on discourse here in this country. So without further ado, we welcome to the broadcast the aforementioned Ambassador Francis Rooney. Ambassador Rooney, good to have you in the broadcast today, sir. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me on. Well, we thank you for being on. Uh, again, uh, Merry Christmas to uh, you and yours. Uh, uh, are you uh, are you in Florida today, Ambassador Rooney? Do you know? I I am in Florida. Okay, so you always dream of a white Christmas. Uh, you don't. <laughs> you probably don't get much of that there. But I know here. Uh, I don't know if you heard the open. It's forty degrees and rainy, and not a flake of snow in sight. So rather unusual these days. <laughs> yeah. I- that's pretty warm for up there. Yeah, we will take it. We'll take it. Although, um, you know, Christmas time, we like it a little more festive than it has been. Well, uh, Ambassador Rooney, as we said from the outset, obviously want to uh, kind of get your perspective on the conflict that is taking place in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. Again, two and a half months in, uh, maybe give us a 30,000-foot view. What's kind of your general assessment of how uh, this is raging on? And, of course, with Israel being a... 
a longtime ally of the United States. What, in your estimation, has the United States' response to this been, Ambassador Rooney? Well, I think uh, so far, President Biden has done the right thing. He's totally supported Israel, uh, and he's just talked about the invasion of Hamas. But unfortunately, recently, a little bit of his uh, wishy-washy, uh, oh, we need to watch out for uh, uh, Palestinian innocent Palestinians, even though many times Hamas is using innocent people as human shields. Right. And to eradicate Hamas, there's going to be some collateral damage. And I right. think that's unfortunate. But that just shows how horrible Hamas is, not how horrible Israel is. So uh, from your estimation, what does, I mean, again, Israel certainly considers the United States a, a, a strong ally and, and vice versa. In your estimation, what does Israel expect from the United States, do they expect military aid, financial aid, just uh, sheer support? Uh, how, how are that? How's that shaking out? Well, they already get a lot of both of those, but I'm sure they expect to continue to be supplied or allowed to purchase it. But they also need moral support. They need someone speaking up for them in the world, because as we've seen around the world, outside of a few European countries in the U.S., very few people want to speak for Israel these days. This pro-Palestinian movement came out of nowhere. I, I'm totally surprised by it, but it's there. Yeah, I, I guess I am too. And I, I guess that people just looking at the, the, the sheer audacity of the attack, I mean, we remember the, the horrific details that took place uh, back in October, Hamas uh, attacking Israel. Obviously, there's always been the hostility toward Israel uh, in that region. And the, the I mean, the leader of Hamas flat out said the goal is to eradicate Israel, <laughs> annihilate Israel. And what we saw on October 7th is beanbag compared to, to what's coming. And yet it, it seems like there not only is not any support for Israel, there doesn't even to be any sympathy for Israel. So from the detractors, have you heard any, I, I don't imagine you've heard any uh, rational discourse, but have you heard of any solutions of what Israel's supposed to do in what seems to be an untenable situation, Ambassador Rooney? Well, I, I think the president's view of continuing our historic foreign policy of the two-state solution is the long-term answer. The question is, when or if are the Palestinians going to be able to operate a state, have legitimate, non-corrupt government, peaceful, et cetera, et cetera? It hadn't happened yet got close a couple of times, but then you had Yasser Arafat steal from him, and then you had uh, Hamas get in there and and create a terrorist organization uh, backed by Iran. There hasn't really been a way for them to figure out how to operate their country, even though they want one, and they probably ought to have one. And obviously, uh, folks who support Israel certainly uh, show tremendous support for the for the IDF and and the skill and, and precision in which they operate. Unfortunately, we've had some atrocities where some Israeli hostages were sadly uh, killed in this conflict, as you alluded to. Uh, sadly, there is going to be uh, collateral damage, and, and, and that happened. But there has been, while people are able to support, you know, some people that are supporting Israel, supporting the IDF and their military response. There's been some criticism of the Israeli government and how they've handled and how they've planned uh, their response. Um, what are some of the criticisms that the Israeli government has received, Ambassador Rooney, and do you feel those are fair criticisms? The only one I've really paid much attention to that seems to have any merit is that they've used a disproportionate amount of unguided uh, missiles, and it would probably give them a better case for uh, trying to protect innocents if they were using more 
guided missiles that can be uh, pinpointed to where they really need to get. Yeah, I, I guess the um, you know I we we're able to d- draw the distinction that Israel does have the right to defend itself, but I'm certainly uh, I certainly would think that uh, any uh, decisions made by their government are going to be highly scrutinized and, and rightly so. Uh, do you feel you alluded to that President Biden right away came out, uh, much to the chagrin of his uh, of his what his the far left progressives may have thought. Uh, has come out in support for Israel. Uh, But you have made the comment recently that uh, the relationship with Iran, specifically how the administration made a huge error in judgment, releasing $6 billion of funds to Iran. If we know anything about the history in the Middle East, uh, Iran is not an Israeli ally, Ambassador Rooney. How does that play a part? I think of all the dumb things that Biden and Obama did, and they did a lot of them, a lot of very bad things, was giving the money to Iran and signing an agreement that's so shot full of holes it looks like Swiss cheese and makes us look weak uh, and foolish and willing to do anything uh, to uh, to keep Iran from taking actions we don't like. And all it does, in my opinion, human nature being what it is, is drive them to take more bad actions because they think we're weak and confused. And I can make a pretty good argument that we are weak and confused. So we give them all this money. And they go about their business, and uh, now they're backing Hezbollah, they're backing Hamas, they're backing uh, terrorists in Syria. Uh, they're a problem all over the world. You know, and they're backing the Houthis in Yemen who are shooting drones at our ships. Right, right. Obviously, we've talked a lot about uh, the global in- implications, not just how this affects Israel and the United States relationship, but obviously what's happening Globally, if we go back to uh, the fall of 2020, obviously the last uh, few months of, of then President Donald Trump's uh, administration, there was unprecedented normalization that was signed between uh, Arab uh, Arab countries and Israeli, the Abraham Accords, and people were lauding that as a as an undeniable positive step forward. Even some of uh, President Trump's most fervent detractors begrudgingly admitted that that was undeniably a good thing. How are those particular agreements impacted by what we're seeing now, Ambassador Rooney? Well, part of the Abraham Accords tended to obliquely call for a one-state solution, which I don't think anybody thought was practical for the long run. But the one thing they did was they became a vehicle for accepting a relationship between, mutually accepting a relationship, Israel and Saudi Arabia, United against a common enemy, Iran, and this this the Abraham Accords became a pol- diplomatic format, if you will, for the, that relationship to develop. Now we seem to be going backwards the other way and sucking back up to Iran. Mm. And obviously, we've heard a lot of uh, the, uh, particularly the far left progressives. Uh, with I mean, it's like they had a clock ticking after October seventh that once these uh, attacks occurred. It was almost as if once the clock struck midnight, whatever that uh, uh, mythical date was in their minds, that we needed to call for a ceasefire. We need to call for a ceasefire. And, the, and their retort has always been, well, if we if there's a ceasefire, uh, you know, uh, the Israeli will certainly, you know, Israel will certainly adhere to it. But obviously Hamas, I mean, if their goal is annihilation of Israel, they're not going to, to adhere to it. How is that? I, I mean, has any progressive squared that circle or, or given a response to yeah. the Hamas leader I, I saying? I haven't sort of heard a rational argument yeah. 
for a ceasefire or pause other than the uh, need to, in, for a few days at a time, to, to move refugees around to save more of them. But not, no, I haven't heard any rational rationale for a long-term break in Israel's effort to destroy Hamas. Yeah, I, I mean, it just, in the attacks ramp up, and again, when you have the Hamas leader coming out saying what we saw on October 7th was, was, was merely the beginning, I don't see how that that's a that that is a, a rational solution and and to your point yeah i didn't i have not heard a retorts like well if israel lays down their weapons yeah they their their offensive will cease but i don't see how the uh, offense that's brought against them will will well, tamp down you don't have to be a card carrying member of hamas to be a dangerous arab right? i saw some polling the vast majority of the palestinians support hamas and you look at the facts of the way the country's evolved. They haven't done anything to get rid of Hamas. They've coexisted with them. Right. So, to me, they're co-conspirators. Once again, we are joined by Ambassador Francis Rudy, who served in the uh, George W. Bush administration from 2005 to 2008 as the United States ambassador to the Holy See. Uh, Ambassador Rooney, we only have a couple of minutes, a minute or two left in this segment. Uh, just some final general thoughts of uh, what we can, you know, we're two and a half months of this conflict. I've heard, you know, I've read some stories that Hamas may begrudgingly accept that, hey, we can recognize Israel's uh, right to exist, although I don't know how realistic that is or how credible those reports are. Uh, two and a half months in this conflict, long-term view, it seems like this is going to be going on for some time. What um, if you have a crystal ball? What can we expect in the in the coming months from this conflict, and how ultimately it, uh, if at all, will it come to an end? Well, I think Israel is going to continue to grind them down, even if the United States gets weak kneed on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing we could do to help Israel is, is we could uh, keep supplying them, and we could keep our mouth shut a little more, and then we could work on taking out these Houthis who are stopping uh, commerce and oil shipments in the uh, Gulf of Aden. Yeah, definitely a lot of layers this uh, of to this, to be sure, and something we'll uh, certainly uh, keep an eye upon. Again, Ambassador Francis Rooney, thank you so much, sir, for your time today. Again, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for having me on. Merry Christmas. AM1280, The Patriot, Northern Alliance Radio Network, Christmas Eve edition of the Closer Edition of the NARN. Back in mere moments. Go nowhere. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happy. season. Sorry, I'm just doing the air guitar here. Got a little distracted. Hey, welcome back. I'm twelve eighty, the Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network with me, Brad Carlson. Christmas Eve edition of the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you and yours are having a blessed holiday season. And uh, glad to be able to come to you with some original programming. And again, our thanks to Ambassador Francis Rooney uh, talking about the uh, difficult situation in the Middle East uh, regarding the Israeli war. And there's uh, the Israeli-Hamas war. I'm going to be real interested to see how this impacts the American elections in 2024, assuming the war is still going on. Because, again, as we talked about, a lot of these far-left progressives, particularly the squad, calling for a ceasefire 
when it's very clear that Hamas has no intention of ceasefiring. So you're basically telling Israel to just, you know, kind of sit there like a sitting duck. So uh, we'll see if they continue those emboldened calls for ceasefire. It could very well cost Ilhan Omar her job in the uh, primary for CD5. So uh, what a day of rejoicing that will be if that happens indeed. So we want to uh, talk some local issues. Uh, You know, there are some things that when they're implemented, you just know they're bound to not go as well as people are insist they're going to go or they're not going to shake out as much as people say it's going to shake out. I mean, I'm old enough to remember back in 1993 when Chevy Chase got his own talk show, and you knew that was destined to fail. In fact, the Chevy Chase death watch started immediately after the first installment of his talk show, and it lasted exactly six weeks. In fact, his talk show debuted the same night as Late Night with Conan O'Brien, when Conan O'Brien took over for Letterman on Late Night. Conan had a pretty good run, I'd say. Chevy Chase, not so much. Uh, And then there's also uh, the Minnesota Twins putting Miguel Sano in right field back, I think, in 2016. Again, knew it was going to be a failure. It wasn't hindsight. It was foresight, to be sure. Well, another aspect uh, of... Things that didn't go nearly as well as the the proponents were speculating they would. Here is a headline from the Pioneer Press. Minnesota program offering free school meals for all kids is costing the state more than expected. Oh, there's a big surprise. That's an incredible. I think I'm going to have a heart attack and die from that surprise. Again, this is from NPR uh, writing in the Pioneer Press. Minnesota's program to provide free school breakfasts and lunches to all students, regardless of income, is costing the state more than expected because of a jump in demand. When Democrat Governor Tim Walz signed the legislation last spring, advocates said the free meals would ease stresses on parents and help reduce childhood poverty while lifting the stigma on kids who rely on them. Thousands of school children who didn't previously qualify have been getting the free meals since Minnesota this fall, become the country's fourth state to offer universal free school meals. The number has since grown to at least eight. Republican lawmakers objected to the program as it moved through the legislature, saying it was a poor use of taxpayer dollars to subsidize meals for students whose parents could afford them. Now, with costs rising faster than expected, $81 million more over the next two years and $95 million in the, next, in the two years after that, some question whether the state can afford the ongoing commitment. And when they say some question, of course, it's those evil Republicans who want kids to starve. Let's be honest. This is not a politically tenable debate to object to this program. It's not, because inevitably you get Democrats coming out and say, well, look at these Republicans. They don't even want to feed hungry kids. You voters made the right choice putting the DFL in charge of the trifecta. I mean, mean, there's no way to win a debate. This is a political loser, and the DFL knew it. And so they don't care a flip if this, if there are costs overrun, cost overruns associated with this program, they don't care. They don't care. And of course, the Republicans then are just tarred with being the party of no. 
because, well, and you think about it, that's really the only tenable solution they had was to play defense because, you know, the DFL was going to do what they wanted, and they throw a dog a bone, let Republicans speak and whatnot. And, and you know, look, I, I'll say that Republicans need to move beyond the reputation of being a party of no. They need to engage issues that they normally don't engage. And I, I, a good friend of mine uh, in front of the broadcast, uh, Senator Julia Coleman, she's in her second term out of uh, Minnesota State Senate out of Carver County. Uh, before the 2022 elections, she came out and she engaged the issue on the on family medical leave, basically saying, look, th- there is a conservative solution to this. And that is quite simply to allow corporations, companies, small businesses, whomever, employ just employers in general, give them tax breaks if they have a program for paid family leave. Because the Democrat solution is always another layer of bureaucracy and another government agency, which is going to cost the state millions and millions more. And sure enough, next year at this time, we're going to be probably looking at a budget deficit the next biennium, okay? Because the Democrats blew the $18 billion surplus, and yeah, we had a a, a $2 billion surplus this most recent forecast day, but that's very easily going to become a deficit, you know, if, unless the, you know, unless cost overruns on these other agenda items are prevented, which let's be honest, DFL has never met a tax increase that they didn't like. So the point is, is that obviously because Republicans only had the state Senate uh, a year ago, that Senator Coleman's plan obviously was shot down because, you know, the Democrats want that extra layer of bureaucracy, another government agency, and they got it with passing their own legislation. So the point is, is that, look, this was a political loser for Republicans. So instead of saying, you know, they're, they're right, okay, on principle, they're right, because let's face it. There was no kid going hungry. I married to an educator, and she had seen the number of kids in, that are on free and reduced lunch significantly increase. Okay? So they were being provided for. They were not going hungry. But yet, it's the Democrats. They're always the ones that are engaged in this class warfare, like you know, taxing the rich. Well, these people, they can afford it, so they should pay more. But yet, if you, if you implement that philosophy into this debate saying, well, there are, these families can afford to feed their kids, and yet they're eating on the taxpayer dime. Well, I guess you just want hungry kids. So, again, I, I get it. There is no politically tenable way to navigate this of a Republican. It's a political loser. I understand that. So Republicans needed to point out, okay, fine, we, we concur. There should be no hungry kids, regardless of what, of who your family members are, regardless if your family can afford it, but then these are going to be the inevitable cost overruns in this program. So how is this going to get paid for? What are we going to cut then? What other areas are we going to cut in order to pay for this? You'll put Democrats on the defensive because they wanted to spend every red cent of that surplus and more in increasing fees and taxes in other areas. Put them on the defense. But instead, once again, Republicans just get targeted as a party of no and obstructionists. Or only in this case, Republicans couldn't obstruct anything because they were in the minority. Both chambers of the legislature as well, obviously, as the governor's office. 
So I, I just don't know how this is navigated. And again, how they're going to, well, I know how they're going to try to solve these cost overruns. We're going to get this class warfare again. We're going to get the, well, we need to get these people paying their fair share. That's what that's what Nebraska Fats, i.e. Governor Walls, a.k.a. Governor Walls, is going to come back with. It's like, well, we need to start getting, getting these wealthy people to pay their fair share. Well, um, how many billions in adjusted gross income have left the state since the draconian pandemic mandates that took place in the summer of 2020 and into the end of the year 2020? It's not nothing. So you're getting that significant income leaving the state and and if you think that that's not happening it came down to the states of New York and Minnesota this last census period in 2022 to determine you know the redistricting year the last census that was taking place it came down to New York and Minnesota as to which one would lose a congressional seat and it was New York by the skin of their teeth okay so when the next census comes around in 2030, will Minnesota be so lucky? Projections are already showing they're not going to be, that we're going to go from eight to seven U.S. House seats. How's that going to work? So where's the money going to come from? Okay. So I'm just saying you can you can sit there and ding Republicans all you want for saying they they, they don't want to feed hungry kids, which is, which is a moronic story. Uh, chanting point it's a straw man okay or you can say how are we going to close or reduce these cost overruns and again that's where the two philosophies are going to butt heads because democrats they think they can just continue to tax 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 overtax people and overburden people with taxes and yeah, and then that that ended up being a spl- exploding cigar in the face when they did decide to give tax rebates. Uh, the ineptitude of the Walls administration, which knows no bounds, they forgot to, uh, or they let the deadline pass of getting certain provisions squared with the federal government. So now that's going to be subject to federal tax. I mean, it's just the ineptitude of these people. It it, it knows no bounds. So again, a political loser for Republicans to be sure, but. Everyone predicted that this was going to happen, and while the DFL denied it, I think deep down they knew it was going to happen, but they knew, or at least they figured, that they had the political chanting points on their side. AM1280, The Patriot, Northern Alliance Radio Network with me, Brad Carlson. Thank you, as always, for tuning in, and thank you for tuning in to this Christmas Eve edition of the Northern Alliance, back in mere moments. Go nowhere. They told me, a newborn king to see, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Our finest gifts we bring, pa-rum-pa-pum. Now I'm doing air piano. Hey, welcome back, AM twelve eighty, the Patriot Northern Alliance Radio Network. A special Christmas Eve edition of the Closer. That's me, Brad Carlson, closing out this weekend's edition of Northern Alliance Radio Network programming. You can also uh, check out our friend and colleague King Banyan on our sister station, AM fourteen forty, the Businessman, or I guess it's AM fourteen forty, the Biz. It's the King Banyan Show Saturdays nine to eleven AM. Again, on our sister station, AM fourteen forty, the Biz. 
On Saturdays, you can hear Mitch Berg, the headliner edition of the Narn. He's on 1 to 3 on these very airwaves, AM 1280 The Patriot, followed immediately by Jack Tomzak, the new guy. And when we say new guy, we say two and a half years. Uh, Jack, the new guy, follows Mitch right at 3, 3 to 5 p.m. Saturdays. And me, Brad Carlson, in these very airwaves, the closer edition of the Narn, Sundays, 1 to 3. And as always, we appreciate tuning in. You know, I was uh, talking a little bit with uh, Consigliere off the air after the last segment. Uh, he made an excellent point, and it's something I should have thought to, to bring up. It's like, whatever happened with the um, the Feeding Our Future scandal? There was a federal investigation like in early 2022 where FBI raided homes and seized property uh, regarding federal money to feed hungry kids. It was like... I think this. I think it was uh, sixty people have been charged with stealing like two hundred and fifty million. Could that offend a few hungry kids? And yet, and yet, when Republicans want to do oversight and question the legitimacy of them, these nonprofits, they get they get targeted as not being compassionate. Well, the Republicans they lack compassion. They they have no they have no plan. They they they're constantly denigrating nonprofits. Well, again. There should be oversight for these nonprofits because they're getting taxpayer funds. Isn't that shouldn't that be a basic core function of government to ensure that taxpayer dollars are being spent properly? Uh, I mean, it's 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 absolutely Brett, Brett, utterly absurd. The thing that sticks out to me, sorry to interject you. The thing Please that sticks do, out yeah. to me is the vitriol they have for Republicans who simply suggest oversight, but absolutely none of that. That is completely gone when people defraud things like this. I mean, how do they not see that as th- as threatening the future of the kind of programs that let's just take them in good faith, that they believe in these programs, they think there ought to be more of them? Why wouldn't they be just as upset with the people who stole $250 million? I mean, how do they not see that as taking $250 million worth of food right out of children's mouths? Right, yeah, that, that's an excellent point. This This money could have very easily been used if there was indeed an epidemic for hungry kids, which apparently there was because this whole new government program had to be created and it's being overrun like to the tune of $80 million the next couple of years. And then the $95 million, the subsequent two years after that. So uh, again, I wasn't planning on taking this next segment to, uh, to, to talk about this, but it is, it's obviously something that I, I wanted to bring up. And, you know, again, John and I were talking off air about this very thing and, I, I think this is something that Republicans get dinged for as well. It's just like Republicans have no plan about nonprofits. The Republicans would just want to get rid of all the nonprofits, which is absurd. And it's again a straw man chanting point. But the 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 mainstream media will be reliable parrots of, of that talking point. So I, I it just it, it's it's beyond frustrating. That that is for sure. So uh, I do um, want to get to. You know, I want to I want to kind of get some more Christmas cheer here. Kind of got to steer me back into uh, <laughs> kind of steer me back into the uh, uh, the overall point here. So it, it's interesting this time of year when we play Christmas songs. A lot of these are you know Christmas songs. They're fun and they express joy and and happiness and good feelings about Christmas and about watching the snowfall and um, and of course a lot of these Christmas songs. You know, they talk about gay happy meetings and making the Yuletide gay. Doesn't really fit in today's context to get it, but I understand what what, what they're trying to say. But one one song in particular, and we'll play it to wrap up um, this segment. Uh, 
it was uh, one song that we hear a lot played, and I'm going to play Nat King Cole's version of Joy to the World as we wrap up this segment. But that song I want to focus on in particular, uh, Alyssa Pobletti writing for the, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. Did I have pronounced the name right? Yeah, Alyssa Pobletti. She wrote a piece for the Gospel Coalition nearly a decade ago, and it's something that stood out to me, and it was reiterated, I believe, by the pastor of my wife and I's home church. You know, we sing joy to the world. I mean, you've heard the song. I'm not going to try to sing it, because I'll probably bleed listeners if I do. But joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Well, did you know that that song focuses on the second coming? I mean, you think about it, when we hear Christmas songs, we think of, what what does Christmas commemorate? The birth of Jesus Christ, right? And so when we sing Christmas songs, we're we're, we're celebrating the, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But yet you have one of the most popular hymns that has been sang for decades— around Christmas season, joy to the world. And it's actually focusing on the second coming. I mean, think about it. This is from, again, Alyssa Pobletti at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, but this is what, you know, you talk about the, the the lyrics. You know, the song speaks of the whole earth receiving her king. You know, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. But is that what happened when Christ came? After all, Scripture tells us that he was not readily received by everyone. In fact, Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as from as and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The earth did not receive her king, but like sheep went astray. Still, we know that there will be a day when this will not be so. On that day, both heaven and nature will sing out and repeat the sounding joy for all eternity. Second, we know this hymn is a song of Christ's second coming because verse 3 talks about sins and sorrows being no more. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. If you have lived on earth for more than two minutes, you know that this is not our current experience. In Mark 13, Jesus foretold what was yet to come after his death when he said, and again, this is Mark 13, verse 8, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. The world is not sin-free. The world is not void of sorrow. Not yet, at least. Jesus told us that we should not be alarmed when we hear the wor- of the world's brokenness. Why? Because this must take place, but the end is not yet. So now we move to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from him, from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And so now fast forward to the uh, final verse. So give me a couple minutes and then I'll wrap up with this. Third, the final verse reveals that this hymn 
is about the second coming. It says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Sorry. I just had, sometimes you get in a moment, you have to sing it. So these final lines speak of how the nations will take an active role in revealing the glory of God. We know that all nations of the earth are ultimately subject to God's ever-sovereign hand. He is the one who gives authority, and he's the one who takes it away. He uses every mistake, every poor decision, every war, every calamity, and every season of prosperity, all for his glory. But we have not yet seen the nations of this world intentionally seeking to prove the wonders and glories of our ultimate king. In fact, they often seek to defame the name of God. But he will not share his glory with another. The I am is jealous for his name. Surely there will be a day when we can say he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove his glory. And that day will be wonderful. So to wrap up, is this a Christmas hymn after all? Because, again, when we think of Christmas hymns, we think of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We don't think of the second coming, right? Well, again, uh, Alyssa Pobletti addresses this in this piece. Why do we sing the song at Christmas? It is clearly a song about Christ's second coming, when the full expression of his glory will be revealed. It doesn't really have anything to do with the Christmas story. Or does it? After all, there is no second coming without a first coming. This song is all about the fulfillment of Christ came to do in the first what Christ came to do in the first place. Christmas is not only a time to look back at the grace accomplished in the past, Christmas is also a time to look forward to the grace that was accomplished for our future. When we sing these words, we are proclaiming the ultimate joy to be revealed. That is why we can sing Joy to the World at Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs While field and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glory. Hey kids, you know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen, but do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Yeah! Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer! Had a very shiny nose. Hey, welcome back. AM1280 The Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network. You would even say it glows. It's me, Brad Carlson. Christmas Eve edition of the Narn. Used to laugh and call him May. So glad you could be with us. Whether you're listening live 
or via the podcast. We appreciate your support. As we draw to a close of uh, 2023, I'll be on next week, New Year's Eve, the final broadcast of 2023, the final live broadcast. You know, John, I, I, I've I counted as a point of pride. I opened the 2023 broadcast year, the first live broadcast on the Patriot. It was a Sunday, January 1st. Ah. And now I will close the 2023 live broadcasting year. Full circle. Yeah. There you go. I did it in 2017, <laughs> too. It was the same situation in 2017 that I did that, where I opened the 2017 live broadcast year on Jan 1 and then closed it out on Jan or December 31, 2017. So well, there you go. There you go. Uh, I don't know if you give out a plaque for that kind of stuff. But, no, uh, <laughs> but we'll, have to, we'll come up with something. I don't know. Indeed, indeed. So, um, <clears throat> so we'll probably have a year in review retrospective. I don't know. We'll come up with something. But um, I am very gingerly walking into 2024. It's like. You know, opening the door a crack, is it safe to go in? Yeah, you said year in review, and I thought of like a fever dream flashing before my eyes or something like that, you know? I I mean, I I remember vividly uh, 2016 and how it just, week in and week out, I would shake my head. It's like, how, how have we just gotten to this point? And now I think... My God, what I don't give for the gentler times of 2016. <laughs> I just got to be honest with you. It's, yeah. just, it's absolutely insane. Well, well, folks, again, again, Christmas Eve edition of The Closer right here in AM 1280, The Patriot. Uh, if you're listening to this, again, live or via the podcast, we appreciate your support over these many years. And we hope that you just have a blessed uh, Christmas season, end of the year. I get it. A lot of people are disappointed that there's no snow on the ground. I I certainly understand that because that's that's what makes Christmas. That that those are some of the fond memories that I have of the holiday. And I am very grateful to have grown up in an era where Christmas was a joyful time of the year because I know there are families who are struggling this time of year. And, and yeah, Bidenomics is a big part of why families are struggling. And there's been a, a, a significant increase in families utilizing toys for tots to ensure that the kids get something for Christmas. And that's and that's disappointing. It's heartbreaking to think about, no, no doubt about it. So that's why I'm grateful that despite looking back, I didn't grow up in a functional household. It was dysfunctional, you know, as you know, I've told my story before, my mom and dad split up when I was three years old and my younger brother was one. So we didn't have both parents around for Christmas. It it it, it basically it was my mom taking my brother and me to our grandmother's house. You know, my grandmother was a widower. My grandfather hadn't been with us since nineteen sixty when he passed away. He passed away before I was born. And it was the four of us every Christmas. And it was predictable. It was a routine and it was joyful because my mom and my grandmother blessed us each and every year with a wonderful meal, with wonderful gifts, with Christmas music and snow falling. And it just, so when I hear Christmas music today, it just brings back the feelings, the childlike joy that I viewed the holiday as, even though at the time I didn't grow up in a religious household, so I really didn't understand the implications behind Christ's birth. As I got older and started and got into church at age 16, obviously uh, my view of the holiday evolved and I, and I appreciate it and look at it the way it was meant 
However, I still have that childlike wonder. I still enjoy blessing other people with gifts and being blessed with gifts. I mean, it's amazing the perspective, you know, kind of like that famous scene in A Christmas Story where Ralphie and his little brother open presents and they have socks and they throw them over their shoulder. I love getting socks and T-shirts and slacks for Christmas stuff. I love it. Okay, so I apply that same childlike wonder I would get for when I got Star Wars figures or the Atari 2600 back in the early 80s. I now have that same joy when I get a nice dress shirt or socks or or slacks. You know, so your perspective changes. But I say all that to say that I know that this time of year may not hold a lot of fond memories, that there were kids that grew up in families that maybe couldn't always afford a nice Christmas dinner or maybe couldn't afford a nice Christmas gift. So they maybe had to utilize toys for tots. So they at least got a little something. And, and if you're some of those folks out there, I just want you to know that I pray somehow, some way that you can enjoy this holiday for what it is. And that is the birth of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And like I talked about in the previous segment, how that birth brings hope and joy and a peace and comfort that transcends all understanding. And so I hope you're embracing the holiday for what it is. And yeah, the blessing of being around family members and the ability to exchange gifts, that's not nothing. That's not insignificant. I hope that is there for you. But my prayer is is that with each passing Christmas, and I don't know how many we have left, okay, we we just don't know when 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 Jesus will return but what i do know is that it is indeed a time to pause and celebrate the hope and wonder that is the birth of our living savior so folks as always i've enjoyed it have a beautiful blessed holiday merry christmas look forward to talking to you next week the final day of 2023 godspeed my friends have a blessed but week. The fiery soul delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs>